This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Business Lens, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and I'm joined, as always, by Chris Hill, the host of Motley Fool Money, the number one stock investing radio show in America, and now a daily, a daily podcast. I mean, Chris, you're, you're sort of dominating the airways. Uh, how does it feel up there? Do you, do you need an oxygen mask at the lofty media heights you've ascended to? Uh, as long as I have coffee, I'm good. That's, that's the, people ask, how do you do a daily show? Coffee, a lot of coffee. I'm I'm deeply impressed. I I, <laughs> I can barely get out of bed as it is. Uh, well, look. Speaking of flying high, I, I think we have to start out the show this week talking about. Look, it's sort of a universal law that the bigger a company gets, the more its growth is going to slow down. Right? Right? Uh, maybe not. And Chris, do you want to explain? Because it seems like that's not always true. Yeah, it, it really is interesting. We we hear this a lot in, in the world of investing. It's um, the law of big numbers, um, which I finally did some research on the law of big numbers. And it's it's uh, I use law in air quotes because it's something that was created hundreds of years ago. But it basically, as it applies to investing, is look, the bigger a company gets, the more hundreds of millions of dollars a company is worth. Uh, you should ratchet down your expectations as an investor in terms of the stock. It's so much harder in theory, for a $200 billion company to double, for that stock to double, than it would be for a $1 billion company. Because uh, they got to add $200 billion in market cap as, as opposed to just $1 billion uh, in market cap. And what we've seen this most recent earnings season from some of the biggest companies in the world, Apple, Alphabet, which is the parent company of Google, and Amazon, shows that the law of big numbers really just needs to get a new brand. It needs to be maybe the theory of, of big numbers because these are companies that just continue to perform. Um, you and I are recording this on the day when the Academy Award nominations came out. And I don't know if you've seen this, but Steven Spielberg was nominated for Best Director for West Side Story. And Spielberg has made history yet again because... He's been nominated for an Academy Award in six different decades. Wow. And there's a phrase in investing that I'm sure all the listeners have heard at some point or another. Past performance is not indicative of future results. And I look at Steven Spielberg and I say, you know what? I think past performance in general is a good guide to future results. Steven Spielberg, an amazing director. And for as long as he wants to keep directing, he's still going to be a great director. And on the investing side of things, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, these are huge companies that have succeeded for years. My hunch is the past success that those companies have had, it's probably a pretty good guide to what they're going to do in the future. Well, talk about, you know, uh, predators that consume everything in their path. I mean, it does seem like Amazon is unstoppable. Microsoft 
you know, we've talked about on this show before the fact that they're, they're sort of like your grandfather's hot tech stock until they're actually everyone's hot tech stock. And they were the number one market cap company in the world. And of course, Google has been on an uninterrupted run for the last 20 years. Why? Why are these companies, is there a common thread here? Is there, is there something that makes these companies so consistently successful? I think that if you look at them across the board, it's tough because even though we lump them together as big tech, um, they are in fundamentally different businesses. Microsoft is primarily in the software business. Apple is primarily in the hardware business. They make devices. Amazon is primarily in the retail business. Now, Amazon Web Services, which is their, their cloud business, that fuels a lot of the investment that they make, um, which leads to the thing that I think that these companies have in common, really two things. One is great leadership. I think all, all three of these companies have had a great history of great leadership. And part of that leadership is something you and I have talked about before, Matt, which is uh, the way that these leaders of these businesses allocate capital, the way that they reinvest in their own business, the way that they, um, in, in the case of Apple, decide we're going to buy back shares, we're going to issue a dividend, that sort of thing. I think that great leadership and smart capital allocation are what they have in common, even though they're at their core, very different businesses. And they're not afraid to, to try things and fail. I, I'm thinking about Google Glass. I'm thinking about some of the investments that yeah. Microsoft has made along the way that that didn't pan out. Um, you know, and and Amazon's attempt at a phone, not not, not exactly a winner. They they've been able to and now look. If you've got so much cash to burn, you know, you can afford to to take flyers on things. And but it's interesting that they've along the way. I don't know if this kind of factors into the success story in your mind, but it it kind of stands out to me that. They've all taken some missteps and their investors, their shareholders haven't minded because they're always trying stuff. And even if the core of, let's say, Amazon's business is retail, it only takes a winner every every few years like web services to become the next big thing that's that's a source of growth and revenue for the company. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's one of those um, things that applies to just, a, I think, a general life lesson for everyone, which is, uh, you're always going to get criticized. You know, you're, no one is above criticism. For as you said, for all the success that these businesses had, every step along the way, whenever any of them have tried something new, there are investors, there are institutional investors, there are Wall Street analysts who ask the same question: Why are you doing that? Why? Why are you spending money on that? Why are you trying to do that new thing? Go stick to doing the thing that we like you doing, you know, like why, why is Amazon investing in a cloud business? Why they're a retailer, they should just invest their money in retail. Why are they building a phone? Um, why is Microsoft buying Skype? Why would they do that? That, that costs a lot of money to buy Skype. Um, and as you said, some of these things don't work out. Um, some of these things work out just very slowly. I think Apple is a great example um, when they methodically made investments in their services business. Um, which are things like iTunes and, you know, and, uh, and music and that sort of thing. And along the way, again, for all the success Apple has had, there are still critics saying, I don't know why they're doing that. 
why don't they just get back to, to figuring out what is the next iPhone? What is the next device that they can charge people $1,000 for? And Apple just methodically built up the services business to the point where in this most recent quarter they just reported, I think the revenue from the services business was somewhere between 15 and $20 billion. Which Not the last bad. Time, yes. The last time I checked, that's real money. Yes, I, I, I would be happy with a, with a small portion of that. Yeah, I mean, it is amazing. And of course, I remember very clearly the criticism when the iPad came out and there were tech writers, there were, there were, there were business writers who said, eh, we don't see it. Why, why do people need what they can already get on the iPhone, but a little bit bigger? It doesn't make any sense. Not such a great take. But speaking of stumbles, I guess we do have to talk a little bit about another high-flying tech company that was brought down a little bit to earth over the last week, Meta Platforms, uh, which is sort of the uh, the alias. Like, if you're on the run from the law, you adopt an alias. I, what would you? If would you have an alias? If if you if you commit, you would never do this. Chris Hill would never do anything felonious. But if you did and you were on the run from the law, what alias would you use? Go ahead and reveal it to law enforcement listening in. I, th- this is a little embarrassing, but my alias is actually Matt Robison. Oh no! Well, so, you know. <laughs> I, Hopefully, hopefully I'm not going to get nailed. You know, it's uh, it, it's a good thing because my alias is Chris Hill. So, I, I mean, Facebook went on the on the run, I guess, and uh, decided to rebrand themselves as Meta. And uh, next thing you know, they're down 25 percent in a single day, lost 200 billion of market capitalization. Chris Hill. Would you like to weigh in on on this? A lot of people online are dunking on Facebook, saying it couldn't have happened to a, to a nicer guy than Mark Zuckerberg. Your thoughts? I think that Mark Zuckerberg is right when he said uh, last week as part of their earnings release that, that Facebook, uh, and I, I, I still call it Facebook, so I'm, I'm, you know, to any hard- You know what we called ma- it on the radio yesterday on a different show I do? Someone created the portmanteau Faceberg. I like that a lot. We should just like call that. it Faceberg. Um, he said we're facing unprecedented levels of competition and he's right about that. Um, and he's trying to pull off something of a high wire act. I'm not betting against him, but I do acknowledge that he is trying to pull off something pretty remarkable. Um, the aspirations for this company are squarely in the metaverse. Um, they are trying to get away from the Facebook brand. Now, the reason I say this is a high wire act is um, the metaverse isn't built yet. Um, the business units that this company has that hopefully one day will benefit from the metaverse are not so big that they can depend on them for a huge amount of cash flow. This is still at its core an advertising business. That's how meta platforms makes their money, advertising on Instagram and Facebook primarily. Um, now, I will also point out that this company has been doubted before. This CEO has been doubted before. When the company went public 10 years ago, they were making no money whatsoever from mobile advertising. This was very much a desktop platform. And that was the huge question. And six months after Facebook went public, the stock was below the IPO price because people doubted that they could make money from mobile advertising. Cut to where we are now, the overwhelming majority of their revenue is from mobile advertising. So that's why I wouldn't bet against Zuckerberg. Um, I I was a little surprised to see this big a reaction. I mean, it was not a great quarter for the company. 
Um, they are investing a ton of money into the, their metaverse aspirations. Um, I expected the, the stock to sell off. I didn't think it would sell off this much. Um, and you're right. There are, you know, this is this is not a beloved company in the way that Apple is beloved. People love their iPhones, um, and I know people love their Instagram accounts. Um, but I think it's it's fair to say that uh, Mark Zuckerberg's Q rating is um, is not the same as Tim Cook at Apple. Um, so uh, I'm not betting against him, but it wouldn't surprise me if the rest of this year turned out to be a little bit of a struggle uh, for this business and therefore this stock. Well, since you invoked the name of Apple, it does bring to mind one of my favorite shows that I've done on Beyond Politics or with you, and this one happened to be with you, where we talked about the budding war between Apple and Facebook and the different visions for the future of tech and social media and hardware and privacy that that war sort of brought to bear. And it is interesting to me that the way I read the news of this stock market decline was, well, not a great quarter. They lost daily active users for the first time in their history. So that that was the inciting cause. But it is interesting that in the wake of Apple deciding to change the privacy features and make it much harder to target advertising on Facebook, you're beginning to see some of the shine come off of Facebook. How much do you connect those dots? Is that, is that a factor here? I connect those dots with a straight line. Um, it, absolutely. The changes that Apple made uh, with their operating system, the privacy changes they installed, um, that has a direct effect on Facebook's ability to um, track people um, and therefore to serve up ads. It's going to cost them $10 billion this year. Um, that's the estimated loss that they're going to see from these changes. Um, so uh, when Zuckerberg talks about the, the competition that uh, they're facing, you know, that's, that's a big part of it. And there's not really a lot he can do. Uh, in that regard, um, you know, I'm sure that's part of what is fueling these aspirations for the metaverse, because Zuckerberg's smart enough to realize that, um, you know, this is the change Apple has made now. Nothing says they can't make more changes in the future that hamper the Facebook advertising business even more. Wow, that's that's an interesting thought that Tim Cook could be, could be sitting there saying, hey, Mark, there's more where that came from. I can do this all day. Not not to quote Captain America, but I could do this all day. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on the uh, the, the saga of meta, meta running into a Faceberg, or maybe it's maybe it's more of a face cook if, if we think that Apple is the cause. But I want to move on to, and this is another story that invokes Apple once again, but there are reports that Amazon and Nike are interested in buying Peloton. Maybe Apple is in that mix as well. Uh, what are you keeping an eye on in this saga? Uh, there's so much drama going on at Peloton, and um, it has nothing to do with um, sex in the city and, and you know, a fictional character dying um, while riding a Peloton. So we got these reports over the weekend um, from the Wall Street Journal and Financial Times that Amazon and Nike specifically are uh, looking at Peloton as a possible acquisition target. Um, Apple gets mentioned just because Apple always gets mentioned because they have so much cash. And, um, but, uh, uh, 
you know, I, I read one analyst note who uh, one analyst said, um, you know, Tim Cook might be forced into this move uh, for defensive reasons. And I just thought, I don't think Tim Cook and Apple get forced into business situation. Like, I don't, I don't right. see that happening. I don't know what's going to happen with Peloton, but I know that Apple's not going to buy them because they got forced into it. Um, earlier today, we got the news that the CEO, um, uh, co-founder John Foley, is stepping down as CEO. He's remaining with the company, staying on as executive chairman. And they're bringing in um, a guy named Barry McCarthy, who was previously chief financial officer at Spotify, and before that at Netflix, um, shares of of Spotify uh, of Peloton, excuse me, are up uh, about thirty percent earlier today. Last time I checked, um, the combination of a new CEO, um, they are pulling back their investment plans. They were planning to build a factory in Ohio and spend four hundred million dollars to do it. They're not doing that. They are laying off about three thousand employees. Um, so uh, this seems like the set of moves you would make if you were serious about remaining independent as a company. Um, one of the analysts I work with um, uh, on the Motley Fool Money podcast, a guy by the name of Bill Mann, had what I thought was a very interesting analogy, which was he compared what's happening to Peloton right now to what happened to Chipotle a few years ago, where they had a number of health scares. And the uh, co-founder and CEO, Stephen Ells, stepped aside and brought in a guy by the name of Brian Nickel, who was running Taco Bell. And there were, uh, you know, some jokes made at the time. I was probably one of the people making them. They're like, wow, Chipotle holds it up as food with integrity. And to save the company, they're bringing in the guy who runs Taco Bell. And you know what? That was the time to buy shares of Chipotle because Nickel has done an amazing job turning that business around and shareholders have flourished with him as CEO. It remains to be seen if the same thing plays out with Peloton, but I do think that, uh, you know, to the extent that Amazon and Nike were looking at Peloton and thinking about like, well, maybe we can buy this company and, you know, what would it cost that kind of thing? Um, I bet they are, thinking that to a much lower degree now that the cost of the company is a lot higher. Mm, that's really interesting. So this may be a case of high-flying company needs to recalibrate and maybe investors are seeing them getting onto a pathway that they like. We will have to keep an eye on that one. Very interesting story. Let me just add one thing, which is that, um, uh, uh, and this is another thing my uh, colleague Bill pointed out, is that um, Peloton's brand has not been harmed. Like the company went from being a $50 billion company to a $10 billion company. The stock was harmed. Some shareholders um, realized some losses, but the brand didn't really take a hit in the same way that Chipotle's brand took a hit. So um, uh, I'm not buying shares of Peloton right now, but it, uh, I'm very curious to see where this goes because it wouldn't surprise me if this was the start of a turnaround. Very interesting. Definitely worth monitoring. We will have to check back in on that. But I can't quite let you go and, and end the show before we touch on, look, we, we love to talk sports on this show and the business of sports. And you brought up to me right before we got on the air that, uh, you know, we're recording this in the run-up to Super Bowl week, Super Bowl Sunday. And of course, that brings up the topic of Super Bowl ads. And you say that there is, there's an infographic 
that appeared in the Wall Street Journal that you can't take your eyes off of. Why? What, what's standing out to you about that? So the journal had this infographic about companies and what they have spent on Super Bowl ads this century. So from 2000 to 2021, who's spending the most money? And they have the top 10 advertisers. And number 10 is Kia, the automaker, and they've spent $100 million in ads <laughs> over the past 21 years. And then you go up to number two on the list, and it's Coca-Cola, just over $150 million. So the spread of money from number two through number nine is $50 million. And then you get to number one. Number one is Budweiser. Budweiser has spent $440 million in ads, Super Bowl ads, this century. So the gap from number two to number 10 is $50 million. The gap from number one to number two is nearly $300 million. Um, so that's the first thing that fascinates me. It's just, I, I would have, if you'd said, who do you think spent the most? Budweiser would have been, uh, you know, uh, one of them up guess. there. I, I, I might have guessed Frito Lay. Yeah, I, I would have guessed um, uh, Pepsi. Um, yeah. You know, but uh, just because they frequently do the halftime show or they have done it recently. Um, so I'm amazed that Budweiser has spent that much. I'm also amazed, frankly, that Kia has spent $100 million because I don't think of Kia as being one of the dominant automotive brands that's out there. Um, and you can look at some of these, Matt. You can look at Budweiser, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and you can look at them. And I think it is fair to ask the question, did these businesses need to advertise on the Super Bowl at all? When you think that this year, a 30-second ad on the Super Bowl goes for $7 million. These are some of the best-known consumer brands in America, in the world. Do they need to spend this money? It seems like a pretty easy lever to pull to say, you know what, we're not going to spend. Now, uh, you know, maybe part of it is tradition. Maybe they get, you know, the way they measure the effectiveness of these ads, uh, you know, maybe it really works for them. But I don't know. Uh, you know, I look at some of these and I wonder, is this the best use of their money? Who should be advertising at 7 million bucks a pop for 30 seconds? Who should be advertising in the Super Bowl, is there, you know, as you've tracked these things over time, are, are there any clear cut winners from from grabbing that that prime advertising real estate? It's a great question. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to line up a guest for um, uh, the radio show this week um, to answer that very question, because I, I have the same question. I know that um, for some of the streaming services that we've seen recently, the mm. data points to. Um, streaming services that come out with um, one big thing that that really drives signups. So for Apple Plus, the Tom Hanks World War II movie Greyhound was a big driver of people signing up for Apple Plus. For Disney Plus, it was Hamilton, uh, the Broadway show, the movie version of the Broadway show. Um, so I'm going to be watching the Super Bowl with an eye towards streaming services to see if they are making a big push. Um, because I think you want, look, Budweiser, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, it's brand awareness. They're trying to do some, you know, they don't, everybody knows these companies, but it's part of their general brand advertising. Um, they're not really trying to drive action in the same way that a streaming service or an automotive company would. 
Um, Amazon's going to be advertising for Alexa. We'll see if that drives Alexa sales for them. Um, but I think that's always the challenge is if you're trying to drive action, how are you measuring that? How, you know, are you getting people to go to your website, um, which every company includes in their ad? Oh, you know what I'm looking forward to is the raft of stories that are going to appear after the Super Bowl. If Amazon's advertising Alexa and they keep repeating the word Alexa, how many Alexas in people's houses hear the wake up word and start monitoring and sending that data back to Amazon? It's sort of the snake eating its own tail theory of advertising. That'll be interesting. You know, personally, because I know we like to talk Hollywood on this show as well. I'm interested to see if if any of the movie studios, I know Universal appears on here, if, if they try and make a big splash kind of a la 1996 Independence Day, which is anecdotally credited that Super Bowl ad with driving a big blockbuster that summer, you know, our, our, our movie studio is going to try and get momentum going, catalyze things on, on that front as well. That, that's what, but I'm not, I'm not the analyst that you are. If people want an answer to this question, they should check out Motley Fool Money. It's available on radio stations across the country and available by podcast. So search for Motley Fool Money, subscribe to that. And of course, subscribe here on Beyond Politics or listen on WKXL. Chris Hill, thanks so much. Thank you. 